Hello and welcome to ABI Tech Bytes, brought to you by the Emerging Industries and Technologies Committee. I'm Tara Shellhorn, the Communication Manager of the Committee and a partner at Riker Danzig in Morristown, New Jersey. I'm thrilled to introduce you today to Professor Juliet Morangello, who's a Professor of Law and Associate Dean for Academic Affairs at Widener University Commonwealth Law School in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which happens to be my alma mater. Professor Morangello is a versatile scholar whose interests include online contracting, creditors' rights, and digital assets, and the relationship between state and federal laws and bankruptcy. And if you search, you'll see that um, her articles have been widely published and, um, at least in my opinion, are very innovative and interesting. So Professor Morangella was my professor for property, secure transactions, and bankruptcy law, among other things. And I wholeheartedly credit her with uh, making me a bankruptcy lawyer today. So I'm thrilled to be here talking with her uh, about digital assets and the proposed UCC amendments, which are aimed at bringing the UCC into, I guess, what we'll call the digital age. So Professor Morangello, hi, thanks for joining us. Yeah, hey Tara, thank you so much for inviting me and thank you for that really nice introduction. It's, it's great to be able to talk about uh, the UCC amendments in this forum. So I think we'll begin at the beginning. What is a digital asset? So that's a great question, because as I talk about the amendments to the Uniform Commercial Code, digital asset is not a word you're going to see in there. Um, different people use di the term digital assets in different ways. Um, I used to use it to refer to any kind of intangible asset that is not in itself intellectual property. So it could include things like domain names, Facebook pages, and so on. But as we talk about the Uniform Commercial Code amendments, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about um, a subset of digital assets that are usually used as payments or investments. So um, we're talking about assets like cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Ether, stable coins, um, you know, you've seen a lot about non-fungible tokens lately. Those would come into the category of this subset of digital assets that we dealt with in the UCC revisions. And I'll throw out the term now, but I know we're going to talk about it in greater detail later. Um, the term used in the UCC revisions to, um, to encompass this type of digital asset that is used as a payment or investment uh, is a controllable electronic record. Thank you. Uh, that's interesting, you know, juxtaposing maybe the broader definition of digital asset and what it means for purposes of the UCC, because I'll tell you, I have very vivid memories of being in class in the mid 2000s and talking about um, property, digital property rights and even video games like The Sims. So I, um, you were always ahead on this. So I think we have an expert here to talk to us about this. So sitting here in um, 2023, why why should lawyers care about digital assets? Yeah, because people are using them, right? And so people are using uh, Bitcoin, people are using Ether, people are using stable coins in commerce. And you know, there's a lot of talk about what law applies, whether the law applies. There's certainly been a lot of chatter in the regulatory arena. Um, talking about whether certain uh, of these assets are securities or not. 
Um, you know, obviously we're going to talk about uh, today the commercial law uh, or facilitative aspect of the laws governing digital assets and people are transferring these in commerce, but the rules provided by the current uniform commercial code don't reflect the ways that these assets are used in commerce and um, you know, as is the case with so many emerging technologies, and this has been, you know, forever, um, people in business will go out and do things the way they think they should be done, right? There are some people who think they are getting perfected security interests in certain types of digital assets, but they are not. And so in many ways, we're facilitating what people are already doing. So, uh a case of the law needing to catch up with the way in which businesses maybe being conducted. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, when when the committee was formed to look at the UCC and determine whether it needed to be revised to take into account um, or, or technologies that have emerged over the past 20, 25 years, I mean, we really did listen to people in the marketplace, right? And so um, we tried to respond to market concerns about the bad fit between the UCC and um, certain types of digital assets by creating a new Article 12 of the UCC that governs the transfer of property rights in this class of digital assets called controllable electronic records. And, you know, hopefully, uh, clearer rules will uh, reduce transaction costs, reduce costs of credit, and um, also, uh, you know, this is something I think bankruptcy lawyers will be um, interested in, um, reduce a lot of the choice of law problems, because there were states that sort of jumped ahead and uh, enacted their own legislation dealing with cryptocurrencies, and I you know, if that were to end up in a bankruptcy court, it would not exactly be clear what law would apply to those. Right, and I think we're beginning to see with the uptick in cryptocurrency bankruptcy cases, yeah. um, the confusion in the area and what's kind of bearing out. So with that in mind, could you tell us a little bit about how the current UCC would treat digital assets? Sure, uh, because that actually is a matter of, of some confusion. So, um, you know, for everybody to pull out their Article 9 um, books and look at the definitions. Um, I'm sure I have mine handy. <laughs> <laughs> Article 9 has a collateral category called, called general intangibles, which is basically everything you have that isn't something else under the UCC. Um, and all types of digital assets, including um, Bitcoin, Ether, stablecoins, NFTs, would now be classified as general intangibles under the UCC. So, you know, what's the big deal, right? You can definitely get a security interest in them. In fact, if you have a blanket security interest that covers general intangibles, um, you've got the Bitcoin, you've got the Ether, you've got the stable coins. Um, and of course, you know that uh, to perfect a security interest in a general intangible, a creditor has to file a financing statement. Now, um, the problem with that for people who deal in these assets, um, or I should say there are a couple of problems with that. 
for people who deal in these assets. So one, you know, that I, I take a little bit less seriously in the commercial context um, is that you know, people who deal in certain types of digital assets, you know, cryptocurrency, value their anonymity and, you know, you can't have a fi financing statement filed in the public record. Okay, um, you know, I don't know who's making a loan to somebody who is anonymous, but um, I don't make loans. Um, but the bigger reason is that the current structure impedes the negotiability of these assets, right? So let's say that um, I want to pay you Bitcoin for something, Tara. Um, to make sure that there's no security interest in the Bitcoin that I'm transferring to you, you would have to search the public records for a security interest in that Bitcoin. And um, you would take, if there were a security interest, whether you knew about it or not, you would take, you would take the Bitcoin subject to that security interest perfected by filing. Now, you know that when somebody gives you money for something that you don't have to go search for security interest in it. And you know that when somebody transfers to you a negotiable instrument by you know, negotiation, um, you don't have to go check for a, a filed you know, financing statement against it. So for people who want to use these assets as payment devices, the current structure isn't workable because um, I know there are some people who don't like the term crypto assets, but I'm going to use it. Um, these crypto assets are not negotiable, right? In addition, it's really hard to enforce a security interest in an intangible asset, right? So if, you know, filing will give you priority, but how do you foreclose if you don't actually have it, right? And right now under the UCC, um, we don't generally have um, a digital analog to the concept of possession, right? Possession really means possession. So we needed to do something about that to um, make uh, cryptocurrency and other assets that fall under the controllable electronic records definition um, negotiable. So I think it's fair to say that currently trying to include digital assets among general intangibles is sort of like the proverbial square peg in a round hole. <laughs> in yeah, so far I, as right, insofar as there's reasons it's something different and it just doesn't doesn't quite work. Yeah, sure, because people in the market would rather it be treated more like money or more like negotiable instruments so that they can be used in commerce in the way that people want to use them. So here's what led to the amendments, right? <laughs> um, before we get into what the amendments proposed, could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the amendments and what your role was there? Sure. So um, actually, it all goes back to uh, teaching at the only law school in Pennsylvania's capital city. Um, when the Uniform Law Commission and American Law Institute approved the major amendments to Article 9 back in the late 1990s, um, I became a member of the Pennsylvania Bar Association Task Force that was responsible for getting uh, the amendments through the legislature. And I loved that task, actually. I'm, you know, talking to legislatures and about and their staffs about the UCC um, was really rewarding, right, to watch the process of getting, um, uh, getting a uniform law enacted in the state. 
So after being involved in other UCC enactment uh, projects in Pennsylvania, um, a colleague recommended me for an open spot on Pennsylvania's Uniform Law Commission delegation. So um, the Uniform Commercial Code, as most people listening probably know, is a joint project of the Uniform Law Commission and the American Law Institute. So um, the committee, the drafting and study committees related to the UCC are made up of um, Uniform Law Commission members and American Law Institute members. So I became a Uniform Law Commissioner for Pennsylvania in 2015. And uh, in 2019, the Uniform Law Commission appointed a committee to study the UCC to uh, determine what needed to be done in light of emerging technologies. Um, and, you know, every everybody in the Uniform Law Commission or American Law Institute has ever touched the UCC wanted to be on that committee. So I have to say, it was really a, a tremendous honor to be appointed to that committee. And um, I was then appointed as as vice chair of, of the drafting committee. Um, so that's my involvement. And now trying that's to get it enacted in Pennsylvania. <laughs> excellent. That's really, that's really impressive. And I think we certainly have um, an expert here who can explain to us what these amendments seek to do. So how do the amendments change the treatment of um, digital assets as compared to what we just discussed? Yeah, sure. So um, the goal is really to establish some ground rules for transferring property rights in these assets and to create a framework um, for using these assets as collateral um, in, secured in secured transactions. So as I mentioned earlier, um, the amendments add a new Article 12 to the UCC, and then they make um, pretty extensive changes to Article 9. Actually, there are changes to every article in the UCC and the big amendment package, but what we're mostly concerned about here are, are, are Articles 12 and 9. So um, Article 12 creates this new class of assets called a controllable electronic record. Now, a lot of people listening might wonder, well, wait a second, aren't you just talking about cryptocurrency or aren't you just talking about assets on the blockchain and why are you not using that term? Because this is so awfully confusing. Um, one of the goals in drafting these amendments was um, technological neutrality, right? We didn't want amendments that would only work for you know, a certain type of asset kept on a certain type of distributed ledger technology today. We wanted to make sure that as these types of digital assets evolved, that the code would still um, uh, adequately cover them. Now, you know, I want to backtrack for just a second because I, I talked earlier about what a digital asset is. So um, it is something that uh, an asset like a uh, Bitcoin that is, you know, kept on a distributed ledger is really meant to act like tangible property, right? It's meant to be rivalrous. In other words, if I have the use of this digital asset, you, Tara, don't. Just in the same way as if I am sitting in a chair, you can't, right? And so these are you know, types of assets that are what we call rivalrous, right? If I have it, you don't. And so 
that's really key to the definition of uh, controllable electronic record. Okay, so um, we start with the definition of electronic record that came into commercial law in the late 1990s with the Uniform Electronic Transaction Act, Transactions Act. So it is, you know, information that, you know, is inscribed in, uh, on a record that can be retrieved in perceivable form, and it has to be, to be a, an electronic record in electronic form, okay? To be a controllable electronic record, that electronic record has to be susceptible to control as defined in Article 12. Now, that gets back to what I was saying about rivalrousness, right? That it has to be something that I can have, you know, sort of the exclusive right to use, to transfer, and if I have it, you don't, okay? Now, um, control is really the digital analog to possession. As I said a little bit earlier, um, you know, you can't take possession of a general intangible under the UCC. And if you can't take possession of a general intangible, you can't have the same kind of rules that we have for negotiable instruments. That if you take possession, you know, you beat somebody who perfected a security interest by filing. And so um, in the amendments, we had to um, come up with this concept of control and you know what's what's interesting and Tara you mentioned you were in my property class like so as a property professor I actually do believe that there are ways to take control to, ways to take possession of intangible assets but the way that possession is used in the UCC it really does mean take it in your hand so there was really no way to do anything easier, you know, like, hey, courts, figure out what possession is of an intangible asset. So we came up with this um, concept of control. And that's really at the heart of the new Article 12. Is that right? It is at the heart of the new Article 12. So, um, you know, there are several ways to take control of um, a controllable electronic record. And as I mentioned before, we tried to write these amendments in a technology neutral manner so that they would apply to known digital assets and digital assets that, um, that emerge in the future. So, you know, I do want to point out to people listening that the official comments to the Uniform Commercial Code, uh, to the new, uh, the new code, the new uh, <clears throat> uh, recently promulgated uh, draft, um, are on the Uniform Law Commission website, and they give very, very helpful examples of control. So basically, a person has control of a CER, a controllable electronic record, if the CER itself or the system in which it's recorded gives that person the right to avail itself of substantially all of the benefit of the CER, meaning to spend it, um, for example, um, gives that person the exclusive power to prevent others from doing so, okay, so prevent others from spending it, and the exclusive power to transfer control of the CER. So again, this idea of rivalrousness, right? And then the system or the record has to give the person with control um, the ability to identify itself, right? And, and so that's the key, and control um, plays a lot of roles in 
Article 12, right? So one, in order to be a controllable electronic record, the electronic record has to be susceptible to control. Um, but control is also really key, um, one, to Article 9 rules, and then also really key to the take-free rules that make these assets negotiable in a way that is very similar um, to negotiable instruments. So for example, um, under the changes to Article 9, a creditor can perfect a security interest in a controllable electronic record, either by taking control or by filing a financing statement. But um, a security interest perfected by control will have priority, right? So that's the rule that's similar to the rule for negotiable instruments. Um, the real, um, I should say, important, really important thing about control relates to the take-free rules, right? So earlier in this discussion, you know, I mentioned that if I were to pay you in Bitcoin, um, you would not want to have to do a UCC search in order to determine whether you were taking that Bitcoin free of any interest in it, right? So um, in Article 12, a transferee of a controllable electronic record who takes control of that record for value in good faith and without notice of a competing property claim takes the controllable electronic record free of that claim, right? And that's what makes the controllable electronic records negotiable, which is what market participants wanted. So if I wanted to pay you in Bitcoin and you got control of the Bitcoin, okay, then, you know, you would not have to do any kind of search and you would take free of any, you know, uh, filed, filed, filed security interest um, against that Bitcoin. Now, you know, keep in mind, and I also said we're sort of codifying what people are already doing. Um, you know, some market players are already trying to do what we're doing in the UCC. So for example, you can perfect a security interest by control. Well, a lot of lenders in the crypto markets are already doing that, but they don't have a perfected security interest because you cannot perfect a security interest in um, what we now call a controllable electronic record by control. So we're we're really, um, I think we're helping the market do what it's trying to do already. That's interesting. So here's really a case of the law catching up with the way in which maybe the lenders were interpreting what you know, seemed to be the way that you would be in control, uh, perhaps not legally, but actually of the, the digital asset. Yeah, sure. And it makes sense for them, right? Because, right. you know, they, they want it in case they need, for instance, to foreclose on the security interest. And that, you know, really is what the UCC revisions are supposed to do, right? We shouldn't jump too far ahead of existing practice. We should be, um, we should be um, enabling practices that, that make sense in commerce. So we have Article 12, which, um, you know, the the cornerstone of that is really establishing control over the CER. And then you have the Article 9 revisions, which 
provide for the, the ability to perfect the security interest in the CERs. So there's clearer rules around this idea of control, but from a practical yes. perspective, and I know you said that there are lenders that are doing this already, uh, how do you how do you actually take control? How do you actually take control of a digital asset so that it's within here? Well, I mean, one way is to hold it in your own wallet, right? Um, another way is to, you know, have a third party take control um, for you. Um, another way is to actually take, you know, without a wallet, take the transfer of, of this asset. And so what these amendments actually also aim to do is they're really, um, they don't take any position on, you know, how the Bitcoin is held or Bitcoin, how the controllable electronic record is held, right? Whether it is held, you know, by a third party or held, um, you know, by the transferee itself. So, um, so yeah, as I said, there are going to be many different ways of, of taking control of, of these assets. So it seems interesting to me because uh, as the amendments are enacted, uh, I anticipate that the framework is now here, but we will see the case law may be developing around what mm. is and is not sufficient control, and that may vary by controllable electronic record. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a matter of, you know, really educating the courts, right? Showing how this system gives a person the exclusive right to spend, the exclusive right to transfer um, and, and those kind of things. And I think, you know, I do think there's going to be um, a, a bit of a learning curve here. Um, there, there have been, so the um, American Law Institute has put on a bunch of programs uh, about this. And, and, you know, I think the last one they did uh, focuses on the different ways of taking control. So, I mean, that is going to be something that, that lawyers are really going to have to um, prove to the courts that, you know, somebody has control of this asset. Right, right. Um, well, it should be quite a ride. <laughs> so with that in mind, as we said, these are the proposed amendments to the UCC, um, which I know were worked on for a long time and are, are very well thought through. Uh, what is the current status of the amendments um, throughout the country? Yeah, so on March 21st, we got our first enactment. Uh, the governor of North Dakota signed the bill enacting the amendments uh, on March 21st. Um, as of March 24th, uh, the amendments have been introduced in 23 other jurisdictions. So, um, you know, there is, uh, you know, a lot of desire to get this done. Um, as I said before, some states jumped ahead and did their own crypto legislation. Wyoming was one. Um, and then a bunch of other states wanted to get on board. So actually what they did was enacted a draft of these amendments. And now they are going back and, and enacting the actual final version. So Nebraska was one of those states. Um, so you know, states do want this, um, you know, nobody wants to sort of fall behind on being, um, you know, up to date on, uh, on these kinds of assets because lots of people use them, so. 
are you finding or have you heard instances where courts are looking at the proposed amendments at all in terms of trying to understand or educate themselves and making decisions now, even if it's not enacted? You know, yeah, I do know that one of the opinions in the Celsius case actually did um, <laughs> did refer to Article 12. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, did, oh, so that's uh, interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. So I think we're seeing... Um, you know, at least some impact on crypto bankruptcies um, even before these these amendments are fully enacted. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And you know, what what is going to be um, particularly help, helpful about these amendments is not necessarily in the big like crypto exchange cases, right? Because mm -hmm. you've got a lot of other issues there that are related to, you know, the lack of a clear regulatory structure and whose stuff is it and all those contracts that they have with people depositing crypto with them. But I think these are going to be very helpful in bankruptcy cases in which the debtor has some crypto, right? So, you know, we, we sometimes, you know, in the bankruptcy world, focus on the big cases, the exchanges, the lenders, um, you know, and you'll have people say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's never going to come up in my court. Um, but, um, you know, a, a case where the debtor actually owns some crypto could come up in any case. So I think that these amendments will be very helpful in sorting out the rights in those cases. Right. It has really a very broad reach because any if you have any case where there is crypto at issue and someone who is trying to take a security interest in that crypto, these these amendments are going to be crucial to understanding the issues. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to thank you for giving us such a thorough and complete um, overview of this issue in, in a relatively short period of time. I know there's a lot to it. Um, for our listeners, are there any resources you would recommend if someone wanted to learn more about this? Yeah, I think the key resource right now is on the Uniform Law Commission website. So that's uniformlaws.org. Um, you'll see right on the homepage, um, you know, recently approved acts. This act was approved at the ULC meeting uh, last summer in 2022. If you just click on the 2022 UCC amendments, um, what you'll see is an enactment kit. And the enactment kit has, uh, you know, materials like why your state should adopt. Um, and those give a nice, clear overview of what is in these amendments. And so I think that's a really excellent starting place um, to, to learn what's in them. That's great. So I believe the link to that will be in the show comments here. So Professor Morangello, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and explaining this issue in such a um, easy digestible way, which is the goal of Tech Bytes. So hopefully we'll have you back soon talking about this or some other issue. Yeah, thanks for having me.